Hello and welcome to the second episode of EM Insider with myself, Chris Slowly, the editor of Citywide Selector, and as always, our EM Insider, Raphael Cassid. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. So in the time since we recorded the last one, a lot has changed. The world has changed. We're speaking on March the 9th. We have seen the US market open, well, suspended, then unlock itself in the space of a short few hours. Coronavirus is still an issue. What does that mean for the globe? If that's not the biggest question in the world to start with. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm actually quite simplistic about this. Uh, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Goldilocks, right? Uh, why? Because we had very low interest rates and relatively decent level of growth globally. The IMF, whether you believe that that's always accurate, yeah. it was, was a little bit over 2%. And that, that probably makes sense. Some countries with more, you know, China, as usual, with much higher numbers. Um, what's changed since then is that there has been a very aggressive reaction all over the world uh, to coronavirus. And so people have been canceling events. Now, the obvious result of canceling events, Chris, I think, is that you just don't have revenues. Yeah, of course. Right? So if you have a football game and nobody shows up, I mean, you may not make half a million to a couple million. Uh, and that's, that adds up. Conferences, uh, all type of you know, flights. Uh, so, so that has a negative eff effect on the world. Now, you could say, you could argue that some countries would be affected differently, even though the virus these days is quite widespread. Um, and, and I think we could, we, could, we could say that today there's been, there's a lot more fear in the world. Yeah, hugely. And we talked about how that fear then projects into numbers. And you talked before we came in here about how it will affect growth projections. Can you talk about that? Because the IMF seemed to be saying slightly different things to what some market participants are thinking. Yeah, well, people have basically panicked and they're talking about the end of the world. They're saying the Fed's going to bring the Fed funds rate to zero. Uh, and that might be the case. I think the Fed actually scared the markets by, by cutting by half a point, but they might cut again. Uh, remember, the Fed has, a, a balance, has to do a balancing act, right? And we have elections coming up. They, they probably don't want to mess it up. Uh, so it's likely that the Fed does something again. They might cut again as an emergency. They did that in 2008, so you wouldn't expect that differently. But going back to your, uh, your point, um, if we were, let, let's assume that the world stops for half a year, yeah. right? And that's a very ridiculous assumption, but it's, it's, it's the easiest one. I, I've seen all kinds of projections and models. I mean, I studied like, statistics and economics, math, and all of that, and you know that models are not really perfect generally, uh, in this kind of science. Uh, and, and so if we assumed that the world halted for six months this year, so the first half, and instead of having, two, let's say, 2% two, two growth for the year, we had 1% growth, that actually wouldn't be such a horrible number. You might have countries like China that might go to zero for a little while, uh, from six, and then they might put a, a lot of stimulus uh, back into the economy. So you might actually see them coming relatively close to where they were before if they put the pedal, uh, the, the, you know, the foot on the pedal. So I would say that in terms of growth, we could potentially see, okay, let's say we, we, ha we see half uh, a, a growth that was expected. Well, that's not going to kill people that much. Well, we talked about this before. We've talked about it, and I've been talking about it a lot recently. We touched upon it there with, with China and what China's doing, because it is the epicenter of what's going on. It, it's where it originated from. But we also had a speaker at one of our conferences recently, Michael Howe, who's a liquidity expert 
that he said that the PBOC has been doing some sort of stimulus anyway, but this is an excellent reason to do more. So it's just whether that feeds through now, or whether that feeds through later in the year. And like you said, you end up with almost two very differently defined six-month periods where one, you have no growth, and in the latter part, you get either that pent-up growth or some growth, which I guess is then a welcome relief because you've had nothing at the start of the year. Yeah, and, and the global economy was doing quite well beforehand, so there's nothing to stop it from going back to where it was. Yeah. So we could see current market events. Now, remember, this is very globalized, right? You're having every asset class dropping. I think part of it is there are managers who are having outflows and there are a lot of people who have been very complacent throughout the first phase of this process. So if you watch most market commentators, in the, especially in the last couple of years, or maybe last year, um, you'd be amazed at how often you'd hear, well, yeah, the market went down 1%. It's a great buying opportunity. Yeah. Right? It's as if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And now this complacency is turning into a, a shock uh, because, of course, people are losing money. And as they keep losing every day, it becomes, again, self-fulfilling prophecy. And then clients come in and say, well, I actually would rather take the money out uh, because it might go down more. I mean, it's a question of catching the falling knife, right? And, and I think that this is, this is the issue that we're living with now. We're seeing the market overreacting on the downside because it did overreact on the upside. So I would say, you know, we were talking about this, the issue of catching the falling knife. Yeah. If you are a good manager, timing is everything. And depending on market flows and, and, and when the fear vis-a-vis -vis the virus ends down or drops down, uh, we might see a lot of interesting opportunities. I mean, you might be able to pick up bonds in countries that have gone down 10 points, 15 points in the last few days uh, for no reason. Are you looking? Are you, you're an active trader. Are you actually trying to capitalize on some of this or is it too soon? Uh, I keep looking every day and every night because things happen at night. Of course. Uh, we, we've had an interesting one recently and we talked again about this earlier. Um, we have seen this expectation of pretty decent GDP growth over the year. We might have a problem with the first six months. Uh, but all of a sudden, we've ha we have Saudi uh, dropping prices or increasing supply versus the Russians and U.S. shale, uh, like, it, like it's done before. They've, you know, the Saudis have done this before. They're very smart about, you know, savvy about doing these things. Um, and obviously, their objective here is to be the sole provider. Uh, prices have dropped. Now, if you have a decent economy with decent growth at some point uh, and oil prices are half the price what they were, well, obviously, that's going to be a fantastic incentive, right? So I, I would say that there will be opportunities amongst uh, oil exporters because their uh, bond prices have specifically dropped. ones? Because, I mean, like Venezuela is the extreme case in that situation. Would that make people tempted to look at Venezuela? Well, I, I'm expecting at some point uh, for something to happen in Veni. Uh, we, we keep hearing Trump making comments here and there. Guaido has been uh, uh, to talk to Trump. Uh, I well, think the FT ran a story this morning, which was, is it time for a regime change? So there is a groundswell of information and, and sort of, I suppose, think pieces, you might call them, about Venezuela and the regime there. Well, this is, this is actually a, a funny 
point about the world today. In the old days, you'd come to the office and you would read the papers and watch the news and you would think that what you were reading was, would take longer to happen. And these days things are happening very quickly and in a very funny way. Um, let's take a couple of examples, right? Since we're, we're, let's dive into this. So Venezuela, people are starving. They don't have money. Uh, the Russians are helping the Venezuelans and the U.S. doesn't like that. You know, old Monroe doctrine, it's right here, remember Bay of Pigs. So there's nothing to stop us from having that situation uh, flare up overnight. It all depends on the people, right? That happened with the Arab Spring. That happened in Lebanon recently. People started feeling unhappy about the fact that that their government wasn't doing what they wanted to do. And that's where the mechanism, I think, is a little broken. Um, there has to be some way for people to actually vote for a government and that government to do proper things. And that's, that didn't happen in Lebanon. And so I would expect at some point for that rubber band to turn around or you know, to, 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 to burst. Um, I would see that, I, I see that in Argentina too. The people in Argentina wanted the Kirchners, or she wanted Christina Kirchner, right? And why did she want that? Because, why did they want that? Because they were unhappy with the fact that they were suffering economically. Well, the problem is, no matter who they pick in, in, for government, if that government is going to cut their deficit by normal means, the people will suffer right, because they won't get the benefits. If the government goes and defaults, as it's happening in Lebanon today, uh, as Argentina is threatening to do and probably will do, uh, then people will also suffer because they will be worse off. There might be an effect on the currency. So, so I think this, actually, I would say this is the biggest concern the world has to have today, is that even in developed countries, like the UK, we almost got Jeremy Corbyn in power, yeah. right? And that would have been a nightmare. I mean, nothing against the guy. Well, you know, different, slightly maybe different uh, views here and there. Um, but, but his financial plan didn't make sense. And so eventually people would have suffered. So they wanted everything, uh, but they didn't want to suffer. But they were going to vote for the guy who was going to have to do that. Uh, so I think this is the biggest issue we have in the world today, is a few countries where people are not happy. They don't know how to express themselves. The political system doesn't allow them. And, and, and I think this, this, is, this will be a theme for the future. There was a, a point when Mohammed el was talking about the new normal. Yeah. And I, you know, I have to find a, to coin a term for that. But I think that will be, I think, the, the biggest issue. The new, new normal, so to speak. The next one on. Yeah. Look, moving slightly away from the macro picture, but looking at asset allocation. So we talked at length last time about, well, I brought the question of blend, but it seems like the local currency situation has changed. Can you talk about that? How has that changed and, and what does that mean for allocators? Yeah, I think this, this continues to be a problem uh, since, as, I've, as far as I remember, 1998. Okay. Uh, we had 10 years in which people tried to sell local currency all the time as the new idea. And, and local currency suffers from FX risk, which tends to outweigh everything else, credit risk, right? 
Um, and we're seeing that now. Everybody's going for, for, for Swiss franc and, of course, Japanese yen, but also the dollar in a way. Um, okay, what are we looking at in terms of developed markets? We always have to look at it from top down, right, when we're talking about fixed income. So we have a lot of countries that have negative yielding debt, and the U.S. is going towards lower yielding than higher yielding. Well, if that's going to happen, all of these emerging economies, which will need to have some growth, uh, in the old days, they would raise their rates. But these days, they have been cutting rates because they want to foster economic growth. Well, if they keep cutting rates, uh, there will be no additional benefit for people to invest in, let's say, the Brazilian real, which crossed 450 the other day, and I don't know where it's going to stop. Turkish lira, we talked about last time. Yeah. You know, people, again, keep saying it's fantastic trade. Well, it's only a fantastic trade if we have a change for a lot of risk wanting in the market and, and in local currency. Two things seem to be living in, like, a twilight zone where you've got risk aversion on one side and then these what you consider risky assets fluctuating massively. Like you, we spoke before about the strange times of where the Brazilian real is at the moment. So where could it feasibly end? Well, I think... Uh, I think it was JP Morgan, actually, and I hope I can quote them. Uh, they usually do good research. I think they said it was more likely that uh, it would the, the, the FX would go to five rather than to four uh, first. And I think that that might be the case because Brazil is running through a difficult period. Uh, its bonds don't yield anything so fantastic. Uh, so... And people are, are probably beginning to ask themselves what will happen with midterm elections later this year. And there's an interesting topic that, you know, I, I like to catch these little topics because it's what people are talking about in the hallways. Um, they talk about the Congress and the Senate trying to get together and, and pull a trick to turn the country into parliamentarism and because they don't like Bolsonaro. And Bolsonaro has isolated himself a little bit since he's taken power. But that's because he's wanted to actually do something interesting. And he left his party as well. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, not every president is perfect. So I think the, you know, we have to live with the cons of Bolsonaro to benefit from the pros. Uh, and the problem is if there are people trying to get rid of him, right? So when you think about it, who would put his money in a country where you don't know what will happen with the political system. There might be a, not a coup, but yeah, a coup, right, so. Okay, so that's something definitely to watch to see how that develops, because that story seems to be, it's such a key a component of the emerging market complex, so to speak, that if something happens there, it will have knock-on effects for the region. A country as big as Brazil is hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. You know, we were, I mean, I think we were talking about local currency versus hard currency, right? Yeah. That concept, I think, at the moment, it's local currency. It, local, sorry, it's hard currency it, that, that is going to get all the benefit. But considering global conditions, uh, you have to realize that even in hard currency, bonds, emerging debt, you have a whole world happening around yourself, right? So there will be managers who will have outflows, let's say, because it's overweight Lebanon, and Lebanon is defaulting today. Uh, so as that happens, he might have to sell whatever is performing within his portfolio. Or he might have clients who are coming in and saying, I'd rather lighten up a little bit because if the S&P drops too much, maybe I'm going to take my investments in emerging debt and put in the S&P. That happens, right? So 
you are trying to catch that knife, but you gotta you gotta think about global flows, and then you've got to think about spe special situations. We talked about Veni, right? There is a chance that something happens there, and it could happen because as time goes by, people starve and, and panic. Uh, we could have uh, the situation in Lebanon, I would say, probably get worse before it gets better. Uh, we could have Argentina do a restructuring that is actually better than people expected. And we talked about lower oil prices, right? Well, it might be that, let's say, Ecuador, which people these days have been saying is definitely going to suffer from the, the global economic weakness, uh, they have election next year, right? But it doesn't mean that because their economic growth slows down a bit, they're going to co collapse, and their bond prices have dropped about 20 points. So for a smart manager these days, it's waiting to see when global economic conditions become more stable and, and finding the right specific investment. Comes back to that question of timing constantly. Timing is everything. One thing that we're going to get onto, and it's probably a, a bigger topic than at the end of a podcast, but looking at ESG in the world of emerging markets. Again, it's something we touched upon in the first one. We talked about Brazil and how much you can invest in Brazil if you're trying to be ethically minded or, or focus on the governance or so, uh, the sustainability of the country. But you mentioned to me about how managers are actually adopting it and how some managers are finding it harder than others to put ESG into an EMD framework. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I would say that actually we re we're living in a very funny world because every manager I meet tells me about the difficulty he's having with compliance, uh, MIFID, and all of these points. Um, at the same time, there's a very strong wave coming a lot from institutional Northern European and US and North American players uh, for these guys to be very ESG focused. And I... I've talked to a lot of managers who, on the sovereign side, tell me that it's impossible for them to actually do that, to actually be clean in terms of ESG. Uh, most of them, in fact, tell me, yeah, you know, we talk to clients, um, we tell them that we do all of this, but, you know, I mean, let's be realistic. We're not doing it. Uh, and so the, I, I guess you would ask, well, okay, so if they're not doing, should we go and punish them or should we understand why professionals who have been doing this business for a long time are reacting that way? And I'd say that, we, that the reason why this is happening is it's almost impossible for somebody to quantify a Brazil versus a Thailand in terms of ESG. And then it becomes very subjective again and if you come to me and say, well, I don't want to buy ESG because that country is exporting oil, uh, well, then I'm going to have to start asking you as an investor a much more profound question, which is, are you interested uh, in having your kids walking five miles to school every day instead of taking a school bus like they do in a lot of countries in, that are very underdeveloped? They don't use a lot of oil. Are you are you ready to live like the Flintstones, right? Because at the end of the day, if we just shun oil completely, instead of finding solutions to deal with the excess of CO2, uh, then you know we will go back to the Flintstones. Which, but that that doesn't mean zero economic growth. It doesn't mean recession. It means depression, because even iPhones require a lot of CO2. So I think that that 
you know, when I when I see these um, advocates for for climate change and all of that, uh, I I think that they have to find a more intelligent way of working with government, with corporates, and you know, rather than just screaming a lot and complaining, because at the end of the day, they they are trying. I mean, they're they're. Their objective is 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 uh, um, worthwhile, worthy. It's worthwhile, yes. It's uh, you know, it's yeah, it, it's it's a great objective. But the question is, they're not gonna get their objective that way. They're just gonna create a lot of disturbance in the world, and and well, we talked about ESG, right? So what we have at the moment are uh, institutional investors saying they want it. Investors saying that they're going to do it, but they actually complain that they can't do it and they actually end up not doing anything proper. Uh, so it becomes a fudge. And if you're going to have a fudge, I mean, why would you believe in it? Well, I think we've touched upon one of the problems here is you can talk about it for a very long time because it goes off in many, many different directions. But I think that's probably enough for now. So thank you very much, Raphael. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's been lots of fun. Thanks again.